You are working in the neonatal intensive care unit, rounding on your patient, Owen Collins. He is a one-week-old with a history of 33-week prematurity. Up until today, his problem list included hypoglycemia and hyperbilirubinemia, which are both improving. This morning, his nurse tells you he's not feeding as well, and his breathing is faster. He seems to start feeding normally, but he's tiring more quickly and not eating as much. His vital signs confirm tachypnea, and on exam, he has bounding femoral pulses and a continuous machine-like murmur in the left subclavicular region that spans both systole and diastole. You're worried about Owen, and as you consider his case, you wonder, what has caused Owen to tire with his feeding, and what could be the cause of his physical exam findings? Consider your answers as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing cardiology from our bricks to your ears. Let's get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this section, you will be able to 1. Define the term patent ductus arteriosus, or PDA. 2. Describe the anatomy and intrauterine function of the ductus arteriosus. 3. Describe the normal sequence of changes in the ductus arteriosus during the transition from fetal to postnatal circulation and the consequences of failure to close the ductus. 4. Describe the clinical presentation and physical exam findings of an infant with a clinically significant PDA and the diagnostic tests used to confirm the diagnosis of PDA. And five, explain the treatment options for an infant with a PDA, along with the risks and complications associated with an untreated PDA. Part one, what is the ductus arteriosus and how does it work? The ductus arteriosus is an embryologic structure that allows blood pumped from the right side of the heart to bypass the unaerated lungs while the fetus is developing in utero. Normally, the ductus arteriosus closes shortly after birth, turning into the ligamentum arteriosum. It arises from the left sixth aortic arch and connects the pulmonary artery to the descending aorta. There are actually two structures in the fetal circulation that allow blood from the right side of the heart to bypass the pulmonary circulation. These are the foramen ovale and ductus arteriosus. As we approach the normal function of these fetal pathways, it's helpful to remember that the fetal pulmonary circulation is under very high pressure. This is because there is no aeration and oxygenation within the fetal lungs, resulting in a physiologically hypoxic fetal pulmonary circulation. Unlike other vessels, pulmonary vessels will vasoconstrict in the context of hypoxia, leading both to high pulmonary circulation pressures and also higher pressures in the right side of the heart of a fetus as compared to the left side. This physiologic reversal of the relationship between the right and left side of the heart means that when blood enters the right atrium of the heart, much of it will pass through the foramen ovale and into the left atrium, bypassing the lungs. Similarly, much of the blood that exits the right ventricle and into the pulmonary circulation will move from the pulmonary artery via the ductus arteriosus into the aorta, bypassing the lungs. 
Since blood flow will travel in the path of least resistance, the fetal blood will flow through the ductus arteriosus and into the aorta instead of the pulmonary circulation. Why is bypassing the lungs desirable for a developing fetus? Well, during gestation, the fetus gets oxygen from the mother via the placenta, so passing blood through the fetal lungs is not necessary. Furthermore, the fetal lungs have essentially zero capability to oxygenate the blood. They are still developing and are completely submerged in amniotic fluid. Okay, now for a question break. Why is there increased resistance to blood flow through the pulmonary vasculature in fetal circulation? The increased resistance of the pulmonary vasculature is caused by hypoxic vasoconstriction. The fetal lungs are not full of air, rather they are full of amniotic fluid. The fetal lungs and pulmonary circulation are hypoxic in utero, and this leads to pulmonary vasoconstriction. Part 2. Closing of the ductus arteriosus One of the first things a neonate does after birth is take its first breath. Given they are no longer attached to their mother's placenta, they need to start oxygenating their own blood. So neonates start using their lungs, and their ductus arteriosus is no longer desired, given that they need the blood from the right ventricle to supply the pulmonary circulation and return oxygenated to the left atrium. Fortunately, once a newborn's lungs fill with air, the elevated oxygen concentration in the lung and pulmonary circulation causes pulmonary arterial vasodilation, dramatically reducing resistance to blood flow and allowing blood leaving the right ventricle to remain in the pulmonary arteries instead of shunting through the ductus arteriosus. And since the ductus arteriosus is no longer desired, what causes it to close? Well, the closure of the ductus arteriosus is closely linked to circulating blood levels of prostaglandin E1. Prior to birth, elevated levels of prostaglandin E1 are maintained, causing the smooth muscle of the ductus arteriosus to relax, keeping it patent. After birth, circulating concentrations of prostaglandin E1 decrease, leading to the constriction of smooth muscle and functional closure of the ductus arteriosus. Subsequent to this, intimal proliferation and fibrosis of the ductus results in complete closure and the formation of the ligamentum arteriosum. Let's test what we've learned thus far with another question. Can you think of a reason why a ductus arteriosus might fail to close after birth? If the newborn has inadequate breathing and oxygenation, the ductus arteriosus may stay open. Another reason why the ductus arteriosus may stay open would be if there are persisting circulating levels of prostaglandin E1. Part 3. What happens when the ductus arteriosus fails to close? Let's discuss the physiologic consequences that arise from a PDA by considering the direction in which blood will flow through it. Unlike the fetal circulation, in the postnatal circulation, the blood pressure in the descending aorta is normally much greater than the blood pressure in the pulmonary artery. Therefore, with a PDA, this would cause blood to flow continuously from the descending aorta into the pulmonary artery. This continuous left-to-right shunting of blood across a PDA causes two problems. First, inefficient pumping of blood out of the left side of the heart, 
and second, an increased blood volume flowing through the pulmonary circulation. Regarding the first of these problems, inefficient pumping of blood out of the left side of the heart, this is because some of the blood ejected from the left ventricle will end up re-entering the pulmonary circulation via the PDA. So a heart with a PDA needs to work harder than a heart without a PDA to get the same amount of blood into the systemic circulation. Regarding the second, increased blood volumes flowing into the pulmonary circulation, in a heart with a PDA, as noted above, the pulmonary circulation is being supplied by the PDA in addition to the right ventricle. As a result, the pulmonary vasculature may thicken to accommodate larger blood volumes, increasing pulmonary vascular resistance. Additionally, downstream, the higher volumes received in the right atrium and ventricle may cause dilation on that side. If the PDA persists and is not corrected, the pulmonary vasculature thickening and increased pulmonary blood pressures may lead to reversal of the shunted blood flow across the PDA so that it again flows from the right side to the left or the lungs to the system. When this occurs, it results in an end-stage syndrome known as Eisenmenger syndrome. Eisenmenger syndrome presents with cyanosis and other signs of chronic hypoxia, such as clubbing, in the context of right-to-left shunting and right-sided heart failure. It is a sign that the pulmonary vasculature and right ventricle have thickened to an unfortunate point of no return. One last complication of a PDA not yet mentioned is infective endocarditis. Given the shunting of blood and turbulent flow across the PDA, this may lead to damage of the endocardium, predisposing to bacterial seeding and infective endocarditis. And now let's sum up what we've learned with a question break. What are the consequences if a PDA is not corrected? Consequences of an uncorrected PDA include left-sided heart failure from overwork of the left ventricle and increased pulmonary circulation leading to pulmonary volume overload and pulmonary hypertension and ultimately Eisenmenger syndrome. Part 4. What is the clinical presentation of a PDA? The severity of the clinical presentation of a PDA depends on its size, and thus the degree and volume of blood that shunts across the PDA, with larger shunts being associated with more significant symptoms. Clinically significant PDAs, then, will present in neonates as heart failure with symptoms such as rapid breathing, fatigue with feeding, and failure to thrive. The most common risk factor for a PDA is being born prematurely. It also may occur in combination with other congenital heart defects, including congenital rubella syndrome. The classic physical exam finding associated with a PDA is a continuous machine-like flow murmur that is best appreciated over the left subclavicular region. It occurs during both systole and diastole, hence the term continuous. Let's have a listen to an example. Other common physical exam findings include bounding pulses as the left ventricle has to work extra hard to supply the systemic circulation, and there is a higher pulse pressure given that some of the circulation shunts over to the pulmonary side. 
There may also be signs of respiratory distress, such as retractions and nasal flaring, and signs of pulmonary volume overload with rowels heard diffusely throughout the lungs. What is the most common risk factor associated with a PDA? Premature birth is the most common risk factor. Part 5. Confirming a Diagnosis of PDA When a diagnosis of PDA is suspected clinically, it is typically confirmed by an echocardiogram, which can detect shunting of blood through the PDA and assess disease severity, like impacts on left ventricular function. Doppler flow studies quantify the flow through the PDA. These can visualize, through color, blood flowing from one structure to another. So if blood is seen flowing via color Doppler from the descending aorta to the pulmonary circulation, this identifies a PDA. Other diagnostic testing performed may include a chest x-ray and electrocardiogram, as these can assess for findings associated with short and long-term complications. Similarly, cardiac catheterization may be used occasionally to measure changes in the oxygen saturation and pressures, especially if the PDA is associated with other congenital heart defects. Cardiac catheterization in a PDA will demonstrate an elevation of the oxygen saturation in the pulmonary artery relative to the right ventricle as oxygenated blood is being shunted from the aorta into the pulmonary artery. Part 6. What are the treatment options for a PDA? Many PDAs will close spontaneously in the first few months after birth, especially those that are smaller and presenting with less severe clinical symptoms. However, beyond this time frame, PDAs will only rarely close spontaneously. Therefore, both symptomatic and asymptomatic patients, those asymptomatic presenting beyond this time frame, that is, are generally referred for treatment, and options include medical therapy as well as corrective surgical interventions. Medical therapy can include non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, specifically cyclooxygenase inhibitors such as ibuprofen or indomethacin. Premature infants without coexisting congenital heart disease are typically managed this way initially, and only those patients who do not respond move forward to a surgical treatment. These drugs can induce closure of a PDA by blocking the production of prostaglandin E1, which is the substance that is helping to keep the ductus arteriosus open in the first place. Prostaglandin inhibitors are less effective the closer to term the patient is, and they can also have significant side effects related to the gastrointestinal tract, kidneys, and central nervous system, even more so in premature infants. So although these medical therapies are less invasive than surgical options, they are not without consequences either. Premature infants who fail to respond to treatment or those with more severe or complex comorbidities may be referred for surgical corrective procedures. These include percutaneous catheter procedures using a coil or other implantable occluding device to occlude the PDA. These are generally the treatment of choice. Another option is surgical ligation, which is a more invasive procedure compared to catheterization. Okay, question break. You have a patient who is a few months of age and failing to gain weight. You diagnose her with a PDA. What are some of the treatment options you would consider? 
Given this patient is already a few months old, the treatments available to her would be percutaneous catheter procedures, which would generally be preferred if available, or surgical ligation. You wouldn't use ibuprofen or indomethacin for her because medical therapy is less effective at this point and works best in the first weeks of life. And that's all I have today for patent ductus arteriosus. Let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you define the term patent ductus arteriosus or PDA? Patent ductus arteriosus is a failure of the ductus arteriosus to close shortly after birth. Can you describe the anatomy and intrauterine function of the ductus arteriosus? The ductus arteriosus connects the pulmonary arteries to the descending aorta and allows the blood from the right ventricle to bypass the lungs when a fetus is developing in utero. Okay, can you describe the normal sequence of changes in the ductus arteriosus during the transition from fetal to postnatal circulation? Once a neonate is born and begins breathing, the lungs will fill with air and the pulmonary circulation becomes oxygenated, reducing pulmonary vasculature resistance and decreasing the flow within the ductus arteriosus, resulting in its eventual closure. Next, can you describe the clinical presentation and physical exam findings of an infant with a significant PDA and the diagnostic tests used to confirm the diagnosis of PDA? Large PDAs may present as heart failure in infants, with symptoms such as increased respiratory effort, lethargy, and difficulty feeding with failure to thrive. Physical exam findings most notably include a continuous machine-like murmur best appreciated over the left subclavicular area. Diagnosis of a PDA is made by clinical presentation and confirmed with echocardiography. And lastly... Can you explain the treatment options for an infant with a PDA? Most premature infants with a PDA are initially medically managed with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, but if the PDA is not responsive or if the patient is already at term or a few months of age, surgical management may be needed. The preferred surgical treatment of a PDA is a percutaneous catheter intervention in which an occluding device is inserted into the PDA. Armed with your newfound knowledge of patent ductus arteriosus, let's revisit our patient's story from the beginning of this episode. If you recall, your patient, Owen Collins, is a 33-week premature infant. He is tiring with feeds, demonstrating signs of respiratory distress, and on exam has a continuous machine-like murmur and bounding femoral pulses. You are worried about Owen, and you wonder what has caused Owen to tire with his feeding, and what could be the cause of his physical exam findings. You know that in a premature neonate, with a continuous machine-like murmur, the signs of tiring with feeding and respiratory distress could be an indication that Owen has a patent ductus arteriosus. A PDA would also explain why these symptoms started a week or two into life and not immediately after birth. 
you call for a pediatric cardiology consultation and an echocardiogram confirms the diagnosis. Given Owen's young age and lack of other comorbidities, you are optimistic he will respond to medical treatment with indomethacin or ibuprofen, and he'll be back on course to be discharged home to his parents and older sister who can't wait to start playing with him. And that's all I have for patent ductus arteriosus. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmlerx.com. Complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there. 